Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn related show on the planet, the John Campius Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news and all sorts of good things. And ladies and gentlemen, it is Thursday. I'm glad you're joining me here today. Now, normally today on uh, Thursday, we'll be joined by uh, Aaron Cummings, but Aaron Cummings, uh, as a busy Hollywood actress does, she got a hold of me last night and she had some things going on. She wasn't able to make it in today. She sends her deepest regrets, but she will be back again next week. Don't you guys worry about that. But it is good to have you guys here today. And oh wait, I just noticed something. My camera's doing something weird. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can. Uh, let me see if I can fix this up. My camera's been doing weird things the last couple of days, and I'm not really sure why. Let me see if I can fix this here. And bada boom, bada bing, we're fixed. Okay. So anyway, guys, it's good to have you guys here, and we have a number of things going on today. First of all, I got to tell you, you guys have heard me say before that every day that I wake up knowing that I'm going to the movies that day is a good day for me. And tonight, me and our friends Ryan, Hong, uh, Tommy, Matt, uh, you know, a few of us, we're going to be going over to go see Venom 2 tonight. Now, of course, I've already seen Venom Let There Be Carnage. I enjoyed it quite a bit. We're going to be giving my full review of it on today's show, so stick around for that. Uh, So knowing that I'm going to the movie theaters today, puts a smile on my face. It makes me feel good. I just feel great the whole day. So I hope you guys are going to have a great day too. Now here's how today's show is going to go, guys. We break it up into two parts. In the first half of the show, we take some predetermined topics. And then in the second half of the show, we go on over and take your live comments and questions. If you'd like to get a live comment or question on the show, simply click on the tip link down in the description of the video, or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's, of course, appropriate for our show. And, of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Also, a little bit of housekeeping here. Don't forget, guys, if you need your John Campia show fixed, but you can't be in front of a YouTube channel, good news, there is an audio-only version of the show called the John Campia show podcast. Simply go to your favorite podcasting app of choice and search for the John Campia show podcast. Again, it's just the audio version of this show, but it's great for when you're commuting or you're at the gym or you're at work or whatever. Go on over and subscribe to it today. And thank you to everybody who has already gone over and subscribed to it. Appreciate that very much, guys. Okay, with all that down, guys, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Greg Timms. And Greg Timms writes, Hey, John, so Variety is reporting that Apple has just made another huge deal. They just acquired the rights to a new George Clooney Brad Pitt movie that's going to be directed by the Spider-Man director, John Watts. There isn't a lot of information about it right now, but it seems weird that something this potentially big wouldn't be a theatrical movie. What are your thoughts, and do you like the idea of Clooney and Pitt re-teaming again? All right, thanks a lot uh, for that, dude. Listen, I love, let's just say this right off the top, I love the idea of George Clooney and Brad Pitt teaming up again. Um, Don't forget, they didn't just do the Oceans films together. They did that one film uh, where he's in the jogging suit, Burn After Reading, right? 
Not a ton. Not everybody loved Burn, Burn After Reading. I get that. But I personally really got a kick out of it. And I thought I thought Pitt was hilarious in it. Obviously, we just saw Pitt give one of the best performances of his career in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, you know, he won a lot of awards for, rightfully so. George Clooney is just kind of the man. To see the two of them together again on the screen, I think is fantastic. I think it's great. Now, it is really interesting, too, that they're doing a movie together and they're doing it with John Watts, who's, of course, the director of Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, and, of course, the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home. And then he's going to be doing Fantastic Four at some point as well. But first, he's going to be doing this George Clooney movie. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who writes, Apple Studios has landed the hot movie package starring George Clooney and Brad Pitt with John Watts directing that's been the subject of a feverish bidding war. Watts will write direct, and produce with George Clooney's Smokehouse Pictures and Brad Pitt's Plan B Entertainment producing. Lionsgate, Sony, Netflix, Universal, Amazon, Annapurna Pictures, and Warner Brothers are also said to have circled the project that would see a reunion of the Ocean's Eleven stars. Now, this is key. Listen to this part here. A theatrical release is also a part of the agreement. Although most plot details are currently under wraps, and I love the sounds of this, the film is said to focus on two fixers who get the same gig. All right, so let's talk about that first part there that is pretty important because you were asking in the email, like, this sounds like a really big project, weird that it's going to be going to direct streaming. It's not. You guys got to remember, when Apple gets a project, it does not necessarily mean it's going to streaming Im- immediately. Because what we've seen with, like, the upcoming Marty Scorsese film, Killers of the Flower Moon, which my accountant's wife is in. True story. My accountant's wife is one of the stars, not just a cameo, like, is one of the stars of Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm, I'll have her in and talk to her on the show as we get closer to the movie. But uh, the Scorsese film, Killers of the Flower Moon, that is going to theaters. That is going to have a theatrical exclusive window. And then it's going to go over to Apple+. Plus. Now, Apple has been showing that they're willing to make that their model. They've done that with a couple of projects now, at least projects that they have on the way. And This is going to be the same thing, according to this report in Variety, that it sounds like this particular project, directed by Watts, starring Clooney and Pitt, it is going to be a theatrical film. Apple is not just about the streaming service. They're also about, here's the thing, Apple believes something that Robert Meyer Burnett and I both believe, that, and what all the facts and figures have been proving. When your movie has a theatrical exclusive release, It does better on streaming when you put it on streaming than if you just put it on streaming at first. All the numbers have proved this. And I think Apple is getting ahead of all the other studios in in getting this. It's like, oh, yeah. So if we take this Marty Scorsese movie, if we take this Brad Pitt and George Clooney movie, and we give it an exclusive theatrical window release, traditional, It's going to do better for Apple TV Plus when we put it on TV Plus than if we just put it on there to start with. They're figured it out. Disney is starting to figure this out. Warner Brothers, too late, is starting to figure this out a little bit too late. So that's pretty key. The second key thing in that quote down at the bottom is it does give us a little bit of insight into it. It, Although the main details are under wraps, the film is said to focus on two fixers who get the same gig. Fixers 
have become very popular in TV shows and movies recently. And the idea of Brad Pitt and George Clooney playing competing fixers who both land the same job, I think this could be a hell of a lot of fun. So just, I really like Watts as a director from what we've seen so far. It's going to be interesting to see him outside of the Spider-Man world before we go into Fantastic Four world. Uh, I love Brad Pitt. I love George Clooney. The concept of them playing two fixers. The fact that Apple, who has all the money in the world. Here's the funny thing. It mentions there was a bidding war, right? Between Lionsgate, Sony, Netflix, Universal, Amazon, and Aperna Pictures and Warner Brothers. If there's a bidding war, Apple will always win. Apple or Amazon. Apple or Amazon will always win. Because Apple and Amazon have all the money in the world. Apple and Amazon could buy Lionsgate and Warner Brothers and Netflix, buy and sell them all two or three times over. So if it's a serious bidding war, those guys are usually going to win. It's just a matter of how much money do they want to put up on that stuff? How much money do they actually want to front? That's the only question. So yeah, listen, for me, until we get more details, I think this project sounds amazing. I'm excited for it. Guys, question is, what about you? Are you guys excited about the idea of Pitt and Clooney reteaming again, working with Spider-Man director John Watts, uh, coming from Apple Pictures, which I think is a pretty interesting move? How do you guys feel about this right now? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. And by the way, Bill uh, four three nine three in the live chat says something I think a lot of people are think a lot too, saying, "I wish there was a Three Kings sequel." Yeah, a lot of people have wanted a Three Kings sequel over the years, haven't they? Anyway, not yet, not yet, probably never. But there you go. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to main topic number two, and our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Philip. Narcisco, Philip Narcisco writes, Hey, John and Rob, and obviously Rob's not here on Thursdays. John, love your quick out-of-the-movie theater reactions to movies. Thank you very much. I like doing them. So I was waiting all day on Tuesday for your Venom 2 thoughts. Just wondering when you're allowed to give your full review. How was Woody Harrelson? How did the CGI look? Can you tell us much about the plot? Thanks so much. All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, Philip. And yes, the review embargo... Hooray. I I honestly don't know why Sony did this. The review embargo for Venom, Let There Be Carnage lifted this morning, the same day the movie's coming out in theaters. Stupid, stupid, stupid move. To all the wonderful people at Sony PR, stupid move. You should have let the review embargo lift earlier. Anyway, and we'll talk about why in a second. Anyway, the review embargo has left. So I am now free to give my full open review, not spoilers. I'm not going to give spoilers away. But I am free now to give my uh, my full review um, of the movie. Now, if you guys saw my quick out of the theater review, you guys know that I had a ball with this movie. Now, of course, I loved the first Venom. I had such a wonderful time with the first Venom. I get it. A lot of people didn't like it. I respect that. All film is subjective. No problem. I personally loved it. I had a lot of fun. I was smiling ear to ear most of that movie. I came out pretty hyped up. I went back to watch it three or four more times in the theaters. I really enjoyed the first Venom, probably more than most people. Fair enough. So I go in to see Venom 2, Venom Let There Be Carnage. I've really liked the trailers. I love the fact that Andy Serkis is there directing. Um, and I've loved the design of Carnage. You know, the, I think they got the design of Carnage 
spot on perfect. Like when you see Carnage on the screen, you're, you're, I mean, it's amazing. You're seeing Carnage from the comic book pages brought to life and it's awesome. So that's all had me excited. So I went in to go watch it and I came out very happy. I had a very, very good time. I had a ball. The movie for me was a lot of fun. Uh, We'll talk about some specifics here in a minute. And of course the post-credit scene, which I'm not going to give away. And guys, please make sure don't, if you've heard what the post-credit is, don't spoil it. And also I guarantee you, I have heard all the the spoilers of the post-credit. They're all, all the spoilers out there of the post-credit scene is leaving a very, very important detail out that I cannot wait to talk about on Monday. On Monday, we'll do a full open spoiler discussion on Monday. So there's that. But before I get into more of the details of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, there is one thing I should say. And that's, you've heard some other people say this. You've heard me mention it, but it really needs to be a crackdown on. The... The deciding line, I think, about whether or not you're going to enjoy Venom 2, I personally think um, that it will very much depend on how you felt about the first Venom. Because here's the thing. The big divisive, I believe, the big divisive point about Venom, the thing that differentiates the people who really like Venom and really don't, I believe really boils down to, for the most part, and I'm sure there are exceptions to this, did people, did you like the personality that Venom has and the nature of the relationship between Eddie and Venom? Because I usually find if there are, if there's people who didn't kind of like Venom's personality in the first one and didn't like the nature and banter uh, of the relationship between Venom and Eddie, if they didn't like those things, they didn't like the first movie. If you did like the personality of Venom and you did like the banter and nature of the relationship between Venom and Eddie Brock, you probably liked the first film. Like I, I personally find, and again, I know it's not true for everybody, but I found a lot that if people say they didn't like the movie, it's probably a pretty good bet that they didn't like the personality of Venom and the relationship between Venom and Eddie. If they say they did like the movie, they probably did like that personality. And I bring that up because of this. Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, is very much a a doubling down. It's pretty much a doubling down on that whole personality, right? It doubles down on this. The personality of Venom in the first movie is very much the personality of Venom in the second movie. It's then the the banter and the nature of the relationship between Venom and Eddie in the first movie is very much a it's very much doubled down on in the second movie. So when you hear me say, look, if you didn't like the first Venom and you didn't like the, because you didn't like the personality of Venom and you didn't like that banter between Venom and Eddie and the nature of it, if you didn't like that in the first movie, the odds are that you probably won't like this movie. Like, I'm just going to tell you up front because if that part, if that part doesn't work for you, then this entire movie won't work for you. The entire movie won't work for you. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Like if that's something that does not work for you, then it won't work for you. Right. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's all subjective. You either did like the personality of Venom in the first one or you didn't nothing wrong. And if you didn't, you probably didn't like the movie, but this movie takes that and doubles down on it and really goes a little bit further with it. And I'll say this too, the personality of Venom starts to reflect a little bit more of the personality of Andy Serkis's claw character from Black Panther. And for me, that's great because I love the claw character in Black Panther. I love the claw character in Black Panther. So yeah, just big disclosure, full thing. If you did not like the first Venom movie, odds are you won't like the second. Okay. So just come to peace with that now. Just come to peace with that now. Now, I will say that. With that being said, it is interesting. When you go back and you look at the critic ratings for the first Venom film, the first Venom film had a 30% critic rating. Like I said, most of my fellow critics did not like the movie. Three out of 10 of us did. Seven out of 10 didn't. Uh, Although you can see it also had a very good uh, audience score. But here's the interesting thing. Even though I just said if you didn't like the first Venom, you probably won't like the second one. That's not so true with the critics, because even though the critics, only 30% of the critics like the first Venom movie, right now the second Venom movie has more than doubled its critic score from the first one. Venom Let There Be Carnage is holding a 68% right now. Now, 68% is decent. It's not great. It's not a great score, but it's good. But when you compare it to the critic score that the first Venom got, Well, that tells me that there are a bunch of critics who did not like the first one that did appreciate the second one more. So although I'm telling you, if you didn't like the first Venom, you probably won't like the second. There may actually be a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, there may actually be a chance um, that you may, you might like the second one, even if you didn't the first, because a whole bunch of critics, not all of them, but a whole bunch of critics that didn't like the first one are enjoying the second one. So we see how that we'll we'll see how that goes. Okay. So let's look at a couple of things here. First, the thing I, I want to say is I thought the performance of all the cast was great. I thought the performance of the cast was fantastic. You've heard a lot of critics say that Tom Hardy is wonderful in this. He is playing himself and Venom at the same time, often having these big arguments against himself. He totally goes for it. He goes completely bonkers with it, and it absolutely works for me. Woody Harrelson as Cletus. I was having discussion with a friend of mine who didn't really like his portrayal of Cletus, but I'm like, I mean, look, for me, Woody Harrelson completely nails Cletus Cassidy from the comic books. Now, you don't always have to do it, and maybe from the way it's done in the comics isn't the way it'll play out best on screen. But for me, as I was watching Woody Harrelson play Cletus, I'm like, this is exactly how Cletus always came across in my imagination whenever I would read a comic book with him in it. So I personally thought Woody Harrelson really nailed Cletus. Of course, having Michelle Williams back was fantastic. Naomi was great as Screech. I actually really liked the dynamic. I I didn't know how that was going to work with her character and Woody Harrelson's character. But for me, it actually gives a lot of justification for Woody Harrelson's character. And I thought the two of them played off each other really well. There is definitely a little bit of somebody else pointed out that there's kind of a natural born killers vibe. And I caught that too. And I really like it. But I also want to mention actor Stephen Graham, who's right above me right here, right? Uh, 
I, did I say screech? I meant shriek. I said screech. I'm thinking of Saved by the Bell. Give me a break. So um, anyway, Stephen Graham, who you may recognize him as Tommy from Snatch, one of my all-time favorite movies, Snatch. So he plays the FBI detective. You see glimpses of him in the trailer. He actually has a very um, significant role in this film. Like when, if you see him in the trailers and when you first see him in the movie, you think, okay, he's just one of these little side cop characters, right? He actually has a very, very significant role to play in the film. And I thought he was really great. I enjoyed him a lot. So I, I really did like the performances from almost all the actors. Uh, I like them a lot. The runtime is a question that came up with a lot of people. Like I, I remember when it first came out that the runtime was 90 minutes. I think the final official runtime is 97 minutes, but whatever. When news came out that the runtime of Venom Let There Be Carnage was going to be um, 90 minutes, a lot of people, oh, that's too short. And I said, look, 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 wait till you see the movie because every movie has its own runtime that makes that movie the best version of itself, Right. Some movies are great at two hours. Some movies are too long at two hours. Some movies are too short at two hours and 45 minutes. We'll see. Personally, I thought 90 minutes or right around the 90-minute mark worked very well. Could it have been another five, 10 minutes longer? Yeah, it could have been. It could have been. But honestly, I thought 90 minutes worked really well for this film. The, the movie just moves. It's constantly moving. You never feel like there's any wasted screen time. You don't feel any big lulls in the movement. You don't feel like there's any scenes that are just establishing things that other scenes already established. Like it's a nice, tight, quickly paced, like good cadence movie that I think worked really well. I think worked really, really well for it. I think the 90 minute time limit, limit, uh, time limit. I think the 90 minute runtime of this movie served this movie very well. And so I thought that worked. Now, another big question. By the way, our friend Willie uh, AI sends in a a $20 Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Willie. Appreciate that, man, very much. Um, Let's talk about, a lot of people then want to talk about the R rating. This movie did not need an R rating, but I will tell you what. I am, after watching it, kind of surprised it got away with the PG-13. There's a lot of murder in this movie. Like, a lot of murder. There are many people in this movie who are alive and then a little bit later are not alive. There's a lot of killing. Uh, Carnage was really brutal. Of course, not being R, when Carnage is killing a lot of people, you don't see blood splatter. Like, there's not a lot of blood splatter all over the place. But honestly, I mean, that's it. Everything is, he's completely brutal. He murders a lot of people. And I thought it worked it felt very visceral to me. It worked very well. It felt very violent to me. The only difference is they didn't show blood. They didn't show a lot of blood going around. A lot of killing, a lot of death, a lot of creative ways of killing people, but not a lot of blood. And that's how they got away. Uh, that's how they got away with uh, with doing that. So, yeah, um, I thought it worked perfectly well as a PG-13. And, and then again, a little bit surprised that maybe it didn't get an R. So, and the basic idea is this, and you got this from the trailer. Eddie Brock is asked by Cletus Cassidy to, Cletus Cassidy wants to give Eddie Brock his story, as if he can just get a message out there to the world. Then Cletus, of course, feels a little bit betrayed by Eddie, 
And of course, he bites Eddie. You see this in the trailer. He gets a little bit of Eddie's blood. That turns him into carnage. And now he's out for revenge. And revenge is a big point of this because several characters are out for revenge in this. And you'll see how it all ties into the movie. Now, as far as the um, the post credit scene goes, the post credit scene is fantastic. The, the post credit scene was absolutely fantastic. And it's done in a beautiful, perfect way that I cannot wait to talk about um, uh, that I cannot wait to talk about on Monday. I cannot wait to talk about on Monday. And uh, yeah, and then we'll see how that goes. So anyway, guys, again, highlighting it all one more time. To me, if you didn't like the first Venom, you probably won't like the second one. If you are like me and you appreciated the way they handled Venom in the first one, I think you're going to have a really good time with the second one. I had an absolute blast. It's really neat to see a lot more critics are actually liking this one than they did the first one. I thought the performances were all a lot of fun. I think the action's great. The visuals were really good. Um, I thought the 90-minute runtime gave it a nice, quick, rapid pace to the movie. I mean, is this movie, to me, as good as Suicide Squad? No. Is it as good as Shang-Chi? Obviously not. But I had a very, very good time watching this movie, and I hope a lot of you guys will as well. Anyway, guys, question is, where's your anticipation level right now? For, For Venom, Let There Be Carnage, I had an absolute blast with it. I hope you guys will too. Are you planning on going to see it this weekend? Don't forget, we got our open spoiler discussion on Monday. Whatever your guys' thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by... Brent G, G I'm going to try this again. Giorgato, Giorgato, Brent Giorgato. Oh, I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right, Brent. And Brent writes, I saw an early screening of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and I loved it. I hope it can do well at the box office so we can get a third movie made, but I'm worried about it. Obviously about the pandemic, sure, but I'm also very worried about James Bond, No Time to Die. You said the other day that second weekend is really important and Bond opens on Venom's second weekend. How do you think Venom can hold up against the mighty Bond? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yes, this is going to be interesting to see because we've got several big questions kind of hanging in the air right now regarding Venom. Number one, how's Venom going to do at the box office? How's it going to hold up at the box office? That's that's a big question because I personally think Venom is probably going to come in around 50 or 60 million dollars. I've, I've upped my guess a little bit. Uh, I'm guessing around 50 to 60 million dollars, which is good right now for the current circumstances. I mean, obviously not as good as Shang-Chi that made 75, not as good as Fast 9 that made 70. But I see it making anywhere between 50 and 60 million dollars. And that's fine. That's a little bit larger for you guys. So James Bond, No Time to Die. Right now, Box Office Pro is projecting that James Bond, No Time to Die is going to make, and this is a pretty big range, but anywhere between 56 and $85 million on its opening weekend. All right, anywhere from 56 to $85 million. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, they're speculating it's going to be anywhere between 45 to $65 million. I should point out that Sony itself is projecting $40 million. 
Sony itself is projecting Venom Let There Be Carnage will make 40 million opening weekend, but Box Office Pro is going higher. They're projecting 45 to 65 million dollars. All right. That's great. Let's say Venom does do well and it makes that let's say let's say 55 just for argument's sake. Makes 55 million. Hell, let's even go more optimistic. Let's say 60. Let's say Venom makes 60 million dollars on its opening weekend. Okay. The question then becomes what's going to happen in its second weekend? Because if you got James Bond No Time to Die, that's going to be coming out and gobbling up anywhere between 56, which I think is low, and 85, which I think is high. I, I think Bond itself is probably going to make somewhere in the 60 to $65 million range, but who knows? We'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously, James Bond will be the number one film at the box office on the weekend it comes out. It'll be its opening weekend. Venom is going to be in its second weekend, right? So obviously, Bond is going to be number one at the box office. That's fine. But the question becomes... How much will Bond hurt Venom in its second weekend? Because a lot of people who, even though James Bond is a very different kind of movie than Venom, I think we'll all agree a lot of people who are excited about Venom would also be excited about a James Bond film and vice versa, right? Because look, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings was able to have really great legs Because it's a great movie, people wanted to go back to see it. They brought more people to see it. But it didn't have a James Bond No Time to Die opening on its second weekend. Because I'll be honest with you, I saw Shang-Chi seven times in theaters. I might see it in eighth, I don't know. But I've seen Shang-Chi in theaters seven times. But if Venom Let There Be Carnage opened up the week after Shang-Chi... I may have only seen Shang-Chi five times in the theaters. Like instead of going back to the theaters to see Shang-Chi for a second time on its second weekend, I might've been going to the theaters to watch Venom or if James Bond, no time to die had opened there. I might've been going to see James Bond, no time to die. What James Bond will absolutely hurt is second viewings of Venom, because I think there's probably going to be a bunch of people who in the absence of James Bond, they're going to go see Venom on its opening weekend. And if they like it, they very well could have gone back the second weekend to go see it again. But James Bond is going to be there. And so I think a number of those people who maybe would have gone back to see it a second time on the second weekend, they might go to see James Bond instead. So it's going to definitely hurt Venom. But how much? Can Venom maintain a 50 to 60% drop? Like, can, can Venom withstand dropping more than 60%? Can it keep its second weekend drop under that 60% mark? If it can, it's going to do just fine. If it has like a 65 or 70% drop, then it's in trouble. And by the way, this whole month is pretty stacked. Let's take a look at this for a second. Let's look at the October release thing. First of all, this week, it's not just Venom. Also opening wide is Adam's Family 2, which, you know, I'm not interested in, but you know a bunch of uh, a bunch of families are going to go see that, right? Also opening wide, obviously Venom Let There Be Carnage. You also got Many Saints of Newark, which is a movie I'm very much looking forward to. This is the Sopranos movie, but let's be honest, a lot of people aren't going to go to the theaters to see this because it's playing on HBO Max because, you know, Warner Brothers were stupid for putting this out day and date on HBO and they're backstabbing their own movies. We've talked about that a lot. So let's move on here. 
So that's uh, that's just this week. And then next week is not just James Bond, No Time to Die. I mean, that's the one opening wide, right? But you got a lot of other options, including the following week, you got The Last Duel, opens up the week after that. Halloween Kills is going to be at that. And then the week after that, you got the new French Dispatch, which a lot of people are very excited about. And obviously you got Dune, which is my number one most anticipated movie of the year. And then the week after that, you got Last Night in Soho, which I am dying to see with Anya Taylor-Joy. And of course, Edgar Wright is directing this. So, and then you're rolling into November 1st and all of a sudden you got Eternals. So that's the thing. It's going to be challenging for Venom. It is going to be challenging for Venom to see what kind of legs it can have. So anyway, guys, question is for you. How do you think Venom's going to hold up against James Bond, No Time to Die? Do you think it can plant its feet down and get those repeat viewers and get new people coming back to see it on a second weekend? Or do you think James Bond, No Time to Die, opening up the following week is just going to totally avalanche over it? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's move on and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? And we're going to get things started off here with Jonathan, who writes, one of two. This is probably a bad trait, um, but whenever there's a movie I'm super excited for that's getting mostly positive reviews, like No Time to Die, and I see a few bad reviews, I'm like, boo, you suck. You don't understand how awesome this movie is. Is It's a bad trait to have. It's actually, Jonathan, it's more than, I'm glad you acknowledge that because it's more than just a bad trait. It's a completely toxic trait. And I'm glad you recognize that. It's not just a bad trait. It's a toxic trait. Anyway, uh, but can you blame me? I'm really excited for No Time to Die. I want it to succeed critically and financially. I want it to have a 90 plus percent or higher on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I don't know how you feel about all this and how should we react? All right, look. And again, Jonathan, I'm really, really glad that you recognize that this is not a good way to look at things. It's a horribly, terribly toxic way of looking at things. You want, first of all, the idea of saying you suck to somebody who doesn't like a movie. Come on, man. Be better than that. Especially wanting to say, boo, you suck to somebody who doesn't like a movie. And it's a movie you haven't even seen yet. And I get this all the time. But Jonathan, at least you are cognizant enough that you recognize that it's a bad trait. So that puts you 10 steps above most other people. But I mean, I see that all the time where people go, you didn't like that movie. Were you just an idiot? You didn't understand it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, did you even see this movie yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, that is one of the most frustrating things. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. But even if, it, if somebody had seen it, look, you got to understand and just accept movies are subjective. Everybody, including film critics, well, and film critics' job just to give their honest opinion, like they watch a movie and they tell you if they liked it or not. And hopefully if they're good film critics, they explain why they like it or why they don't in such a way that helps you better have your own position, whether it's the same or opposite of theirs. That's the whole gig. But to, to criticize anybody, let alone film critics, because they don't like a movie you want to be good, it's, again, it's not just a bad trait. It's a toxic trait. It's one of the things that makes movie fandom not fun. 
It's one of the things that poisons movie fandom. It's one of the things that keeps other people from wanting to be a part of movie fandom. You know what I mean? So, but hey, man, you're 10 steps ahead of everybody else that at least you're cognizant of it and you recognize it yourself. So good on you. All right, next up. Uh, Tim Platt writes, I know you haven't been a fan of what if, and I'm not trying to convince you to like it, but holy crap, this last episode was absolutely amazing. This is how menacing Ultron should have been in the movie. Uh, personally, I thought Ultron, if if you don't think Ultron was menacing in the movie, I don't know if you were paying attention to the movie. I thought Ultron was very menacing in the movie. Um, look, I, I don't know what I can and what I can't say about what if, because it only aired like two days ago. But I'll say this, and for those of you who watched What If, you'll know what I'm saying. I thought this was one of the better episodes of What If, all right? Because What If has been kind of hit and miss for me. It's been a little bit hit and miss. A couple of episodes have been really good. A bunch of the episodes have been very forgettable. But I thought this episode was actually one of the very good ones. But... The ending of the episode, the ending of the episode, to me, ruins the whole series. It ruins the whole series. Because, and I won't say specific. I'm not going to say what happens. I'm just going to say what the ramifications are, what happens. Right? So if you haven't seen it yet, I'm not about to spoil the ending per se, because I'm not going to give you the details. But to me... The thing that makes What If special and what got me excited about it is that we were going to get a series of little short, quick anthology stories that were just what if scenarios. Hey, what if that had happened? Cool. And a little isolated story. It would allow storytellers some real freedom and blah, blah, blah. And as much as I really did like this episode, and I do, I like this episode until the final 30 seconds. Because what it did to me was it changed that the ending of this episode fundamentally changed what if from being a short, quick, what if anthology series. That was a really fun idea. And I love that to just another Marvel. Oh, everything's connected. This is actually, this is not an anthology series. This is all connected. This whole show, this whole show is all connected. Marvel is so terrified. Marvel is so scurred as Will Bond would say on Pardon the Interruption, they're so terrified, they're so chicken shit scared to do anything that isn't, everything's one big connected story. They're so afraid and scared shitless to do anything except that, that it, it and I love the MCU. You guys know I love the Marvel movies. I love the MCU. All hail Kevin Feige. You know that. All hail the foot of Feige. Behold the foot of Feige, ye mortals, and tremble in its presence. I love the MCU, and I love Feige, but it's, why does Warner Brothers, why is Warner Brothers the only one that have the testicular fortitude and the guts and the vision and the courage to not just have one everything's connected cinematic storyline? Why is Warner Brothers the only one to have the balls to tell separate stories? And that's one of the things that I was really excited about the notion of what if, because I wasn't super, super thrilled with, I wasn't super excited for it, but the, the one element about what if that did have me excited was the fact that it was Marvel 
finally showing the balls to tell stories that were outside of its precious one continuity MCU timeline. And the ending of this episode to me was a tremendous letdown, especially considering how good the whole episode was. Like I really did like that Ultron episode, but it's like, Oh, Oh yeah. It's, it's just ballless, cowardly Marvel once again. And I say this as a massive, massive Marvel fan, but it's just ballless Marvel too scared to do anything. That's not all tied into the same thing. Cause we don't know how to do anything except that. And as a Marvel fan, it just frustrates me a little bit. It just frustrates me a little bit. Cause it finally looked like they were going to do something different, but nope, it's just more of the same It's like, Oh, Oh, you know, it's just more of the same. And it's like, meanwhile, Warner Brothers, who is not doing a good of, as good of a job with their DC universe as Marvel is doing with theirs, but they have some vision and they have, at least when it comes to this one aspect, they have vision and guts and balls to make a Joker movie, to make a movie that's totally separate from everything else, not connected. They don't have to find ways that everything's connected, right? They have the balls to do that. I want to see Marvel take a shot at that. And I thought what if was going to be their little experiment with doing that, but nope, turns out it's just, everything's connected again. Eh, whatever, whatever, uh, just me. But before that final minute, I did think this was a very good episode of what if the whole Ultron thing. I thought it was a very, very good episode. I really did until that last minute. Oh, whatever, whatever. We'll see what happens. All right. Thanks for that, Tim. All right. Next up, Luke one, two, three, four writes, welcome to John Campy after dark, a show where we fart in a crowded elevator, where we burp in our girlfriend's mouth when kissing her. Oh, that's a bad one. And pee in the kitchen sink. Nothing wrong with peeing in the kitchen sink. Uh, just some extra taglines for you. Have a good day. By the way, I do not personally pee in the kitchen sink, but if you really got to go and someone's in the bathroom, you're by kitchen sink, go for it. God bless you. Godspeed. May the wind be at your back. May the sun shine upon your face as you pee into that sink. It's all going to the same place anyway. So God bless you, my friends. Uh, anyway, so um, <laughs> Zach93 is saying in the chat, peeing in the sink is goddamn awful. But wait a minute. Are you preparing your food in the kitchen sink? Are you like getting your, when you're making a sandwich, right? Let's say you're making a ham and cheese sandwich. Are you bringing the bread over to the kitchen sink and laying the bread down in the kitchen sink and then putting the meat flat down on the kitchen sink and then applying, you know, your, your, I'm not a big mustard fan. I'll be honest with you. I would put mayo on it because mayo is the jizz of the gods. So, you know, you put your mayo down and then you peel the cheese off the sink and then put it on the bread and then you peel the meat off the sink and then you put it on the bread. Then you rub the bread around on the bottom of the sink. Who cares? Again, I, I don't, I do not personally pee in the sink. I'm just saying you got to go and the bathroom's occupied and you got a kitchen sink there and thou needest to relieveth thyself. Let it rip, buddy. Let it rip. You go for it. You go for it. No judgment for me because I ain't preparing dinner in the kitchen sink, but that's just me. All right, let's move on here. Um, 
Let's see, we got Jonathan, and Jonathan writes, In honor of No Time to Die, here's my favorite Daniel Craig Bond films. Number one, Skyfall. Number two, Casino Royale. Number three, um, I have no third pick because the rest were kind of forgettable. I forgot what happened in Spectre, and I keep forgetting there was a Quantum of Solace. Solace. Oops, yeah. Listen, I didn't hate... I didn't hate Quantum of Solace. I... It, it was not on the same level as Casino Royale or Skyfall. I mean, clearly it was a big step down. Um, uh, sorry, let me let me rephrase. Uh, Spectre, I mean. I didn't think Spectre was terrible. Quantum of Solace was pretty bad. I didn't think Spectre was terrible. I just didn't think it lived up to the to potential of the other two. Uh, for me, my favorite is still Casino Royale. I actually like Casino Royale more than uh, Skyfall. But they're both great. They're both fantastic. And I'm very excited about No Time to Die. All right, next up, Suthius writes, Mr. C, while I enjoy your vlogs, I was wondering and hope it's not too much to ask if you could either number the vlogs or perhaps place them in a playlist just to make it easier to find your vlogs for watching. If yes, great. If not, that's okay. Thank you. Actually, you know what? You raise a good point, Suthius, because every once in a while, Ann and I will do John and Ann vlogs. But... And I just put them in the special editorial section. So there's a playlist on the front of my channel called, you know, uh, something, something editorials. Let me see if I can look it up here. Um, it is called, uh, the playlist is called news slash editorial videos. So that's normally where I slap the vlogs is in there, but maybe I should create a completely separate vlog playlist. Then do I put my right out of the theater? Because I kind of do my right out of the theater reviews as a vlog style. Do then I put that under reviews or do I put that under uh, vlogs? I'm not sure. It's, you raise a really good point there, Suthis. Let me think about it. Let me think about it. But for now, if you're looking for our vlogs, they're under the editorial playlist and that's where you can find them for now. But maybe I should create a, a completely separate playlist for vlogs. I'll, I'll keep that in mind, Suthis. Thanks for putting that out. All right, MD writes. Um... I just found out that Venom doesn't come out in the UK until October 15th. Really? Oh, wow. Uh, I always say, yeah, yeah, I did know that. Okay. I know all the reasons why this happens. However, when the cast and studio are asking fans not to spoil it, isn't two weeks a lot to ask? I'm worried about these spoilers now, to be honest. Yeah, listen, it's, it's one of the really unfortunate things about the reality of film fandom. A movie does not... Normally, the vast, vast majority of the time, a movie does not release worldwide on the same day because different territories may have different things going on where it will be better for that movie if it opens like a couple of weeks later or a month earlier or whatever, whatever the case may be. But this is and has been a problem for film fandom forever because movies don't open worldwide on the same day. So... I mean, yeah, you guys in the UK worry about it now because it might affect you, but it's been affecting, this has been true for a lot of countries around the world for a very, very long time with almost every movie that comes out. And us in North America, nobody in North America worries about it. Oh, until it's North America that it's not opening in first. And then all of a sudden, well, then how do they expect us not to hear about the about the spoilers? Uh, yeah, but welcome to reality that a ton of other countries in the world have had to live with. You're right. It is one of the drawbacks. It's just if you really want to live spoiler free, it's almost like you just got to kind of stay off. Uh, you just got to kind of stay off the internet for a while. You just got to stay off the internet for a while. Uh, you got to be careful. You got to be very, very careful where you tread. 
So it's it's tough, but my, uh, it's going to be hard, MD. It's going to be hard, almost impossible, but just do the best you can, man. It is a problem. All right, Suthius writes, I'm a sucker for travel and adventure shows. Uh, I just saw a trailer for Disney Plus Nat Geo show where the host takes the audience on adventures at extreme ends of the planet. A lot of bucket list adventures of well, for the host and the host, the one, the only Will Smith. Well, actually, if you remember Suthius, back at that big Disney you know, announcement that happened like three, four, five months ago when they announced all the Star Wars films and the Marvel projects and all that kind of stuff. That was one of the shows that they talked about. Um, as a matter of fact, the 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 travel and adventure shows, I was once offered a TV show. It's true. I was once offered a TV show. I won't say which network it was. Much of my friends know about this. But there was a network... Um, like not one of the four majors, like it wasn't Fox, NBC, CBS, or ABC, not one of those, but there was a network that flew me to New York and they pitched me this show. They had this idea for a show. It was on one of those networks that would put a show like this on it. I'll just say that where it was basically, it was a show that was going to look at classic movies that shot on location in places around the United States. And the idea was this, is that every week, me and a co-host would road trip to a particular city where an iconic scene in an iconic movie was shot. Like one of the ideas that was pitched to me about going to that beach, that little town and beach where they shot Jaws, right? I can't remember where it was. But the idea was, we would do a retrospective of that classic movie. We would go visit the city. So it become a little bit like a road trip movie. We go visit that city, talk about some of the great things to do in that city, and then go to specific iconic locations where specific scenes of that movie were shot. And I can't, I, I can't remember if they gave it the name like movie America or something like that. Anyway. So I went down to New York. They, they pitched this show. I did a screen test for it, all that kind of stuff. Ultimately, I turned it down. Ultimately, I turned it down. Obviously, they weren't offering millions of dollars because if they were millions, if they were offering millions of dollars, it, it's like, what's that? You want me to break dance bare ass naked on a glass floor with Windex? Okay. I mean, if they were offering millions of dollars, I, let's face it, I would have done it. But I ultimately turned it down. Uh, number one, because I wasn't really sure that the, the show could work. But number two, it was going to require me to move down to New York. And I actually don't like New York City. And I did not want to live in New York City. And so, and the money wasn't good enough uh, to kind of get me over that hump. And so I ultimately turned, I don't know if I would have turned, I don't know today if I would have turned that down. I don't know if I would have turned that down today. But, um... Yeah, but I'm a little bit of a sucker for those, you know, travel adventure shows myself, Suthius. So I, got, I got to admit, I'm a little bit of a sucker for those as well. All right, next up, Paul um, McCaskey writes, Hey, John, love your show. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, it's always a good time. I've got an email from Disney Plus saying that Free Guy was available to stream for free from today as a part of my membership, even though it's still in theaters. I was shocked. Is this the new normal? Yes, Free Guy. Which, by the way, if you have not watched Free Guy, watch Free Guy. You should try to still see it in the theaters. It's still number three at the box office. Go see it in theaters if you can. It's a better experience in theaters. But if you can't, 
go watch it at home. Either way, watch Free Guy. It's so fun. It's so much fun. But this isn't terribly unusual because even back before the streaming days, you know, uh, certain movies, it didn't happen often. It did not happen often. But um, certain movies, very rarely, but would do really well at the box office and have really good legs at the box office. And they'd still actually be in theaters by the time they came out on Blu-ray or were available on VOD. And they were still playing in theaters. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Endgame was still playing in theaters when the Blu-rays came out. Like it lasted, had enough legs to stay throughout the entire theatrical window. And then by the time it was coming out on disc, it's now again, that didn't happen often. It was rare, but it did happen. So yeah, I completely believe with the theatrical window now shortened to 45 days, 45 days is still a very long time for a theatrical run, but with a 45 day window, yes, I think you're going to see situations like this when Shang-Chi well, Shang-Chi doesn't come out on Disney Plus till November 12th, so Shang-Chi may not be in theaters anymore by then. But uh, this situation where a free guy is still in theaters and its exclusive theatrical window is up and it's coming out on Disney Plus, I don't think it's going to be terribly unusual. I don't think it's going to be ter- terribly unusual. So, yeah, it's going to be, a, again, not normal. Most movies will not still be in a movie theater after 45 days. But sometimes it will. And so, yeah, you're going to see that happen once in a while. All right. Thanks for that, Paul. Next up, Ahmed writes. Uh, and by the way, our friend Banana Apple sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Banana Apple. Uh, Ahmed writes, a radio promo for Venom said, universe changing twist. And a TV promo that said, universe needs Venom. Uh, they are kind of laying it on thick, aren't they? Look, all I will say, again, I'm not giving anything away, is that, yes, I have seen ads as well. I saw a TV spot that talked about the universe will never be the same. And I'm like, ah, come on, guys. Should you be saying stuff like that? Anyway, that's that's just, yes, Ahmed, I think they're laying it on a bit thick. I think they're laying it on a bit thick and maybe giving a little much away. Uh, anyway, next up. Uh, where are we at? Ryan Loner writes, one of three. I'm interested to see who will be brave enough to be in the new Babylon 5, since no matter how much of a skeptic you are, it really does seem like the show is under a curse, with eight cast members and counting having suffered untimely deaths. Uh, Richard Biggs, uh, aortic terror in 2004 at the age of 44. Uh, Tim Choate, motorcycle crash in 2004 at the age of 49. Uh, Andreas I remember when he died, lung cancer in 2006 at 59. Jeff Conway, drug overdose in 2011 at the age of 60. Michael O'Hare, heart attack uh, after years of schizophrenia in 2012 at the age of 60. Jerry Doyle, complications from alcoholism in 2016 at the age of 60. Stephen First, diabetes in 2017 at the age of 63. And Mira uh, Furlan, uh, West Nile virus in 2021 at the age of 65. Yeah, there is... There is... A lot of talk about uh, like the Superman curse. Obviously, I do not believe in curses, but if I did, the Babylon 5 curse would be the one I'd be worried about. Uh, Then again, it's not like it all happened within one year after the show ended. I mean, this is a number of these people were in their 60s. It's it's not, I mean, that's still young. It is still relatively young, but I mean, uh, but yes, if I were to believe in curses, that might be one 
I, I would be worried about. <laughs> but this is a different Babylon 5 production. So I would not hesitate to be in this in this show had they if they were to ask me. And of course, they're not going to ask me. But anyway, Drew writes, My five-year-old loves the MCU and Venom, although with you saying it's almost rated R, I am thinking I will not take him. How violent is it? He handled the first one fine for reference. I know it's all subjective, but I trust your opinion. Okay, yeah, but you got to take this in mind too, Drew. I'm not a parent. My recommendation, because yeah, it's, it's a very violent movie, particularly it's an extremely violent movie, especially one for the one that doesn't have an R rating on it. It's very violent. Again, not a lot of blood, but a lot of murder. My recommendation is simply this. Go see the movie yourself first. I think that's the easiest answer. You Because I can't tell you what your kid can and cannot handle. Only you can decide that as the parent. Okay? It's nobody else's fucking business to tell you what is or is not appropriate for you to take your kid to see. All right? I always get tired of hearing these fucking people on both sides of it. It's not their kid saying, you shouldn't be letting your kid see anything with a gunshot in it. But at the same time, I hate these fucking assholes trying to tell people, it's like, oh, who cares if it shows a lot of tits and sex? Your kids are going to see it eventually anyway. How about this? How about it's not your kid and just shut the fuck up? All right? So that's what I'm going to do. Drew, I'm going to shut the fuck up because your kid's not my kid. It's not my place to decide what is and is not appropriate for your child. Only you can do that. So my best recommendation is go check it out yourself. You know, you know, you and your date run off, go see it either tonight or Friday or some run in and check out a screening of it. It's, it's a relatively short movie, like 90 minutes, um, run out, check it out. And then if you feel it's your, it's good for your kid and that you kid can, your kid can handle it. Awesome. If not, no problem. You got something you can watch with them at home in a couple of years, right? But again, myself, man, I like if, if I had a kid right now, and you didn't mention how old your kid, five years old. For me personally, were it my kid, I might be a little apprehensive to take them to see this at five. Because like I said, there, there's a lot of murder, a lot of murder. But that's me. You check the movie out yourself first and you decide what's best for your kid, man. Uh, either way, I hope you enjoy the movie. I really do. All right, next up. Um, ben Rayner writes, Hi, John. Well, I finally got to see Free Guy and oh my God, the hype is real. It's amazing. Ryan kills it again from start to finish. Taika is great as the villain. I love all the jokes too. That end battle was glorious. What the shit, classic blue. Um... Uh, two of two. I had the best time with this movie. The girl who plays Millie. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's, by the way, she's coming up. Uh, Comer. I, I never know how to pronounce Cormier, Comer. I never know how to pronounce her last name, but she's also got another big movie coming out in the last duel that she stars in with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Adam Driver, directed by Ridley Scott. I'm very excited for that movie myself. Anyway, uh, she was awesome, and Steve from Stranger Things was great. He was really good at it. The two voice cameos were awesome. Yes, they were. And I can't wait to watch it again. Four out of five. Uh, love this movie. Bring on the filthy. Yeah, listen, I keep preaching the gospel of Free Guy. Best movie of the year? No. But it, it does what a movie's meant to do, man. You go in and you're just, you just smile. You smile the whole time. Your heart feels happy. You feel good. You laugh. And then you come out and you're just smiling and you're glowing a little bit. It's a fun, fun movie, guys. Do check it out if you haven't, 
if you haven't had a chance yet. And of course, it stars a good Canadian kid in it, so that's always good. An anonymous viewer writes, um, anonymous viewer writes, I know this team may, this term, I should say, may be used incorrectly, uh, jobber, but what do you think, for example, of Cobra Kai, where Kreese is the ultimate bad guy, but recently flashbacks show a sensitive side, and rumor has it a worse bad guy is introduced to make him the lesser of two evils. Listen, Anonymous, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a dick, I promise, but I don't care because I don't watch the show, <laughs> unfortunately, so you're asking the wrong guy. I, I do not know because I do not care. I, I don't watch Cobra Kai. I was excited for the show. I tried to watch the first. Um, I tried to watch the first one, but uh, the first few episodes, I was very excited about it. I was looking forward to it. I thought the whole notion of revisiting these characters, but telling it from Johnny's side, I thought that was really cool. I watched the first three or four episodes and it's just not for me. It just wasn't for me. Now, my wife loves it. A bunch of my friends love it. And if you love it, awesome. I'm not shitting on the show at all. I'm just saying it wasn't for me. That's all. So I cannot answer your question because I don't watch the show. So I have no idea, unfortunately. Um, anyway, yeah, there's that. By the way, let me just address something that, that somebody mentions in the live chat, which is kind of dumb. All right. Uh, Mertaranta in the live chat says, funny how John hates the multiverse in What If, but loves it in Spider-Man Into the Multiverse and No Way Home. Well, uh, Maranta, if you think that's the same thing, I don't know how to help you. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was a self-contained single movie thing, that that's what the essence of the story of that one movie is. And it worked really well in that one movie. The MCU is a 32-plus movie and TV show spanning thing, and they just don't know how to seem to do anything outside of that. And that, to me, is frustrating. But if you think that's the same thing, then you and I have nothing to talk about because there's I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to make you understand the difference between the scenarios. I don't hate multiverse in and of itself as its own concept. I mean, I'm not thrilled with it like time travel. I'm not thrilled with the idea of time travel, but hey, Back to the Future, Star Trek IV, it, time travel can be used really, really well. I'm not a big fan of multiverse in general, but hey, it can be used really, really well, and there are times when it is. But for you to pull out like a one-shot movie, and by the way, I've, I haven't said it worked in No Way Home because I haven't seen No Way Home. I haven't seen it, so I have no idea if it's good or crappy or shitty or fantastic. I have no idea yet. But for you to try to compare what happens in one isolated movie to how a 32-plus movie and TV show thing operate and what they've always done and refuse to do anything separately, for you to try to make it seem like that's just the same thing, again, I don't know how to help you. Because if you don't get it, I can't make you get it. So I'll just have to leave it at that. All right, next up. By the way, our friend uh, Miko Swayan sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that very much, dude. Um, okay, next up. Uh, where was that? That was Jonathan, No Time to Die, Suthius. Uh, oh, wait, I accidentally skipped down too much. So where were we at? Uh, okay, so there's the free guy thing. Uh, there was the Babylon 5 thing, the five-year-old Venom thing, seeing Free Guy. Okay, here we are. Um, oh, Ben Rayner had a part. Oh, Ben Rayner part. No, we did that. And then the Jabber thing. That, right. So, Crease. <laughs> now we're caught up. Crease 
in um, Cobra Kai. Again, I, I don't watch the show, so I can't answer that, unfortunately. All right. Sean Austin's wig writes, I've been a fan of yours for years, John. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. And correct me if I'm wrong. I rarely, if ever, heard you mention old black and white movies. Uh, from Rob's from Rob's collection, I know he's a fan of Akira Kurosawa. Well, who isn't? Uh, what about you, John? Are you a fan of Casablanca, for example? Uh, by the way, B. Gill Studios sends in a Super Chat badge uh, for, uh, into the live chat. Thank you, B. Gill. Appreciate that. No, you're right. I, I don't often talk about black and white films, but think about why. Um, we start our show talking about the big news items of the day. So that's never going to be movies from the 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, whatever, back into the black and white era, unless we're talking about a reboot of some kind, right? So our show is big news topics, which has nothing to do with old black and white films. And then I take live comments and questions from you guys. And we very rarely get live comments and questions from you guys like regarding um, different eras of films and you know things like that. So, so that's why that's not what the show does. That's why you don't hear us talk about, but like Casablanca, of course, now I'm not as big of a fan of Casablanca as a lot of people are. There's actually, we feature Casablanca a lot in my movie, movie trailers, a love story. Go check it out on Amazon today. Uh, so my movie, my documentary movie trailers, a love story on there. And we do talk a little bit about Casablanca on there as well, but you're talking about the great black and white movies. You're talking about 12 Angry Men, Citizen Kane, Kurosawa, Seven Samurai. You're talking about It's a Wonderful Life. You're talking about Dr. Strangelove. You're talking about To Kill a Mockingbird. If you want to talk about Kurosawa specifically, I mean, uh, Hidden Fortress is one a lot of people like. Uh, Ran. Ikiru was, is my favorite one. That's the one with the poster on the swing. That's my favorite one. So yeah, big fan of a lot of those films. But we don't often talk about those films on the show because they're not the subject of big news items. Cause that's more today's movies and not a lot of people write in to ask about them until you just did Sean Austin. So thank you for writing that in, man. All right. Uh, next up. Oh, and by the way, drew nine one four also said, Hey, what about Hitchcock? Obviously Hitchcock for sure. By the way, we do a big feature in my movie, movie trailers, a love story available now on Amazon. Go check it out. Uh, we do a big, uh, there's actually got a section in it where we talk a lot about uh, Alfred Hitchcock and his revolutionary seven-minute-long trailer. You heard that right. Seven-minute-long trailer for Psycho. And we we talk, we have a whole part of it in the movie where we talk about that. So you're right. Absolutely. I should have mentioned Hitchcock as well, my friend. Yes. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Jared Goff Midian writes, one of two. Hi, John. I've been watching you since the Man of Steel review. Well, thank you. It's crazy how many people have been watching since the Man of Steel review. Um, over the past weekend, I saw the eyes of Tammy Faye and with Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield in that. And I have to say, I was blown away by this movie. My mother used to watch Jim and Tammy's show just about every day. My mother used to have Tammy's records as well. Despite their scandal, this movie brought back many memories for me. This movie was spot on from the acting, directing, makeup, wardrobe, and screenplay. I have a feeling this will be up for Oscars. Yeah, listen, I've already been hearing a lot of the, the buzz. Now, I was supposed to see a screening of it a few weeks ago. Something else came up. I couldn't go, so I haven't watched it yet. But I will because... I just love everybody in this movie, like a lot. So I'm honestly hearing she's probably, from the people I've talked to who have seen it, I'm hearing she's probably going to get an Oscar nomination for this. 
Uh, actually, they're saying it's almost a foregone conclusion she's going to get an Oscar nomination for this. Uh, by the way, our friend S. Beam sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, S. Beam. I, I will say this, though. Uh, a little bit of insight, because you guys know, like, I, I went to Bible college. Like, I, I traveled in those circles a lot. I used to watch Jim Baker. Now, here's the thing. I watched Jim Baker a little bit because it, I, I mean, I was a theology nut. Like I, like the way I feel today about like MCU stuff or Star Wars stuff. And I just, you know, I just devour everything I can get my hands on as far as that kind of stuff goes. I mean, I am kind of like that with theology and you don't get a lot of theology stuff on television other than stuff like Jim and Tammy Baker back at the time. Right. So I remember when I was really getting into theology and I just loved hearing every perspective and everything that I could. And so Jim Baker was a guy on TV that was, was talking sometimes nonsense, but sometimes theology. And I'd be like, cool, blah, blah. But man, like after watching Jim Baker for a little while, I'm just like, this guy is a psychopath. Like this, this nothing Christian about this guy. Like, and I'm only speaking for myself. I'm only speaking from my own perspective. Okay. Just, I'm not judging anybody else at all, but yeah, after I watched it for a while too. And I was like, yeah, this guy's really not about, this guy doesn't actually know much theology and he's really just about, you know, the, the, you know, the show and everything. And so I kind of gave up on that, but I remember like when I heard that they were going to do this eyes of Tammy Faye and looking at Jim and Tammy Baker, I became fascinated by it, especially when they got the performers involved. And, and not a lot of people are talking about Andrew Garfield, but Andrew Garfield's fantastic. And that's really one of the big reasons why I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing this myself. Anyway, thanks for sharing that, Jared. All right, next up, uh, we've got Garden Variety Vagabond writes, John, I should have been clearer. Facts of Life was an actual spinoff of Different Strokes. Yep, I'm an old guy. No, see, somebody brought that up. I under, I know Facts of Life was a spinoff. Yet Mrs. Garrett was the, the maid on Different Strokes, and then she became the, the house mother in Facts of Life. I understand that. But if I'm not mistaken, and again, this was a long time ago. I mean, I saw this when I was a kid. I believe there was a crossover episode. I'm almost positive there was. So, I mean, uh, yeah. I'm almost positive there was. Now, I could be wrong because it's been a long time. Uh, it's been an awful long time since I've uh, since I've seen it. But I, I understand. I wasn't saying the spinoff is a crossover. I just know or I believe, I think I remember there being a crossover episode. So when somebody's asking me, like, what's the earliest crossover you remember? I said, I think it's Facts of Life, Different Strokes, because I believe there was a crossover. Again, it was a long time ago. I could be totally wrong about that. But that's how I remember it. Okay, uh, next up. Uh, Mark 2021 writes, So, John, I saw many talk about Squid Game on social media. Everybody has been talking nonstop. So I watch it, and what a great show. Took me by surprise. I know you like it as well. So my question is, Do uh, will you do a spoiler discussion? I need to talk about it. I don't know. I, I never even heard of it. Like, Come the beginning of September, a little bit into September, I never even heard of this show, like at all. Not not the slightest, not the slightest thing do I know about it. And then, you know, all of a sudden, a bunch of people writing in about it a few days ago saying, have you seen Squid Game? Have you seen Squid Game? Have you seen Squid Game? And I'm like, oh, I guess I better watch Squid Game. So I went and I watched Squid Game, watched the whole season in three days. 
Now, I don't, I'm not madly in love with the show like some people are, but clearly I liked it enough that I watched the whole, like all nine episodes in just three days. So clearly I liked it quite a bit and I did enjoy it, but I never would have considered, uh, I need to top up my Zevia Cola. Zevia, sponsor me, you insufferably cheap sons of bitches. Um, I never would have considered doing a spoiler discussion for it because I honestly didn't, I thought maybe just a, a, you know, a, a certain number of people would watch it. Well, now all of a sudden yesterday, we're doing the John Campia show and we're talking about how Netflix is saying that Squid Game is about to become their number one all-time show. Their number one all-time show. Like the biggest show they've ever had. Meaning more people watched it than Daredevil. More people watched it than The Crown. More people watched it than House of Cards. More people watched it than anything. Anything. And it's like, okay, well, everybody's watched it. Maybe we should. So, um, I don't know. And yes, Mark Newman is saying our time really bigger than Stranger Things. Yes, bigger than Stranger Things. By the way, Stranger Things isn't even currently their number one show of all time. Let me just see in the live chat. Because I said it yesterday, so don't cheat. Do you guys know what the number one all-time show on Netflix is? It ain't, it, it isn't, um, it isn't Stranger Things. Let's see if any of you guys know. I know this is about a 15-second delay. Mark Newman got it right. Yeah, Bridgerton. Mark Newman, Collins E., um, uh, Black Lightning, um, and a few others got it as well. It's not, it's not Money Heist. It's not Bird Box. It's not, no, it's Bridgerton. Bridgerton is currently the number one all-time show on Netflix. I never would have guessed that. I mean, my wife watches it. I, all I know is that, look, all I know is that one day I come into the living room and Ann and Kaori, they're sitting down watching TV. And I obviously, there's this sickeningly good-looking people, like guy, this one guy in particular. Like, what's the name? Rajay? What's the name of the guy in Bridgerton? Like, that dude is so good-looking, it just pisses me off. You ever get that? You see something, especially as a guy, when you see, like, I'm, I'm very secure. I'm a very secure male, right? I'm very secure. But every once in a while, I see a dude that is so good-looking, it just pisses me off. And that dude in Bridgerton, he's that kind of good. He's that kind of good looking, right? So, all I see, I walk into the living room, and it's him and this girl in this in this Victorian Aaron era kind of outfits, looking very poshy and whatever. And oh, I, my honor of my family has blood. And talking all of a sudden, like right, and then all of a sudden, I turn around to grab my drink out of the fridge, right? And it's like this is total. Like Victorian kind of like, oh, privy and speaking in the proper King's English and blah, 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 blah. I turn around, go into the fridge, pull a drink out of the fridge, close the fridge, turn back around. And all of a sudden, these proper King's English speaking people are like banging every way you can buy them saying, oh, so this show's kind of dirty. <laughs> and like Ann and Corey is like, yeah, it's a little bit dirty. So anyway, I, that was my introduction to Bridgerton. So, hey, any show that wants to be filthy is good with me. But again, not really my kind of show. But yes, Bridgerton, number one show. And now all of a sudden, this Squid Game is about to be the number one show all time on there. Bridgerton is going to be the, or, or, or Squid Game is going to be the number one show all time in the next couple of days. The number one show all time. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. So I don't know. Maybe I should do 
maybe I should do a, um, why did that just come up? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I totally should do a, uh, a spoiler review of it. Here's the problem though. I would not be able to do a spoiler review of squid game or have an open spoiler discussion of squid game until at least Tuesday, because tomorrow I leave for Las Vegas because I'm going to play in the world series of poker that I do every year. Didn't last year because of COVID, but I'm going back to Vegas playing the world series of poker. Very excited about that. Um, and so I'm going to be out there for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Monday, I'm doing the, um, we're doing the open spoiler discussion of, uh, Venom. So the earliest I'd be able to, but let you know what, for those of you watching live, uh, should we do a, uh, squid game, uh, open spoiler chat? Uh, I'm for those of you watching live, I just put this, a uh, poll up into the live chat. So I just put up a poll in the live chat. If, if we did an open spoiler chat, of squid game on say Tuesday, would you guys be interested? Like, would you participate? Would you want to come be part of that conversation? I I don't know. Let me know. Like I said, can't do one until, uh, can't do one until, uh, until at least Tuesday, but we'll see. So I just put it up. We've got over a hundred votes already. 70% of you are saying yes. So, okay. We'll do an open spoiler discussion of squid game on Tuesday. Uh, and if this just me and five other people, then it's just me and five other people. But so far, the majority of you guys are saying, yeah, you want a squid game, open spoiler discussion. So that is what we will do. Thank you guys for participating in the poll. I appreciate that. Okay. Let's move on. Now we got a few minutes left here. Let's get through a few more questions. Next up. We've got Mark, uh, 2021 who also writes, Oh, I forgot to ask if you think we will get a season two of Squid Game. Absolutely there. It's also ranking 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I need more. Yeah, the show is a ridiculous success. It is a ridiculous success. Now, Jungle Jesus in the live chat is saying, I don't even know what it is. It's basically, so it's a Korean show, and it's basically a cross between Battle Royale and Hunger Games even though Hunger Games is very much influenced by, but you, you see what I'm saying. It's a kind of cross between Battle Royale and Hunger Games, you know, where, you know, you, you fight, compete to the death, a lot of people dying, and the winner gets a big prize. That in its most simple terms is, uh, too, but it is stupidly popular. Um, And Ice Cream is saying, I thought it was Japanese game show. No, it's Korean. It's Korean. So there, there you go. And yes, they're absolutely going to do a season two. No, no doubt in my mind, they're going to do a season two. All right. Jonathan B writes, Hey, John, I've been watching since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Jonathan. First time commenting in Spider-Man trailer, Doc Ock says, hello, Peter, uh, as if they have history. Is he talking to Tobey Maguire's Peter? Not sure he'd recognize Tom Holland unless they've met previously in the movie. See, that's the thing. Here's the problem, Jonathan. And we all do this. I do this too. Don't read too much into things you see in the trailer because you're seeing little quick moments from the movie completely out of context. For all we know, uh, Doc Ock, this Doc Ock has already met Tom Holland five times in the movie and then sees him again later on. We just don't know. So is he talking to his Peter? And by the way, if he's, remember, he ends in Spider-Man 2 heroically. He ends heroically. 
he's kind of redeemed himself in a way. So, and we, Alfred Molina said that his character's coming directly from that moment when he's about to drown in, in Spider-Man into this Spider-Man. So he's already kind of, so I don't know. All I would say is don't try to read too much into a quick, um, out of context moment shot when we have no idea about the context around it. So it, there are a lot of possibilities there. There's a lot of possibilities. All right, next up. Uh, Donda writes, uh, don't trip. I'm not going to ask about Venom spoilers or anything about the post credit scene, but I have to ask, how was the Eminem song? Was it better than the song in the first film? I like the Eminem song that plays during the uh, credits. I didn't think it was quite as good as the Eminem tune from Venom 1, but still still quite a good one. Now, again, I've only heard it once. I'll hear it again tonight. But I, I thought the one from the first movie was a little bit better. That's just me. All right, next up. Boris writes, hey, John. Never thought I'd be this sad when hearing exclusively in cinemas. Here in Australia, I didn't realize Venom 2 isn't out until November 17th and Bond in December. I'm sad because I've realized there's no way I'm going to avoid uh, Venom spoilers that long. Listen, I will say this. I will say this. While I will not give out spoilers, a lot of you guys have had it spoiled for you already. I'm going to say this. Finding out spoilers, I can only speak for myself. Finding out spoilers while frustrating ultimately really doesn't ruin a movie for me unless, and not many movies have this, unless there is a plot twist that is so fundamental to the movie that it alters your very perception of the film, right? Like, for example, and by the way, I'm about to spoil Sixth Sense, but if you don't know the ending to Sixth Sense by now, you're not watching it anyway. So Sixth Sense, to know that Bruce Willis was dead all along, that that's not just a moment in the movie that gets ruined for you. That fundamentally changes your entire perception of the movie. It changes your entire perception of the movie. Uh, the original Planet of the Apes, when Charlton Heston sees the Statue of Liberty and says, oh, did you do? right? Finding out he sees the Statue of Liberty at the end, that doesn't just kind of give away a moment in the film. That fundamentally alters your entire perception of the entire movie. So like those types of spoilers, those types of spoilers, that, that ruins movies. Finding out in Endgame that Captain America fights another version of Captain America. Okay, that gives away a moment in the film, yes. So the surprise of that moment is gone. But it doesn't fundamentally change the way you view the whole movie, right? It doesn't ruin the movie. So, again, everybody has... Um, everybody has... And a bunch of you assholes in the live chat, you're going, John, I was going to watch Planet of the Apes tonight. Fuck off. Go fuck yourself. Give me a hard time. Um, So, but uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Yeah, so I I personally have a certain perception of what spoilers are and aren't, and everybody has their own unique ones. But I would say this. Yes, it's going to be very, very difficult for those of you who live in countries that are not yet playing Venom to go completely spoiler-free. It's going to be very, very hard. My, if this is any consolation to you, I honestly don't think it's going to hurt your viewing experience of Venom that much, if at all. 
really. You know, the joy in it is is the journey of the movie. Like, you may know this happens in the movie, but the joy of the movie is experience the movie, even if you know X happens at some point. Unless, of course, it's like an ending like a Planet of the Apes or an ending like, like if you know that... Um, that uh, Ken is uh, is Kaiser Soze. I mean, that, okay, that changes your whole perception of the movie. That changes everything about it. Or Bruce Willis is dead. All, okay, that, get yeah, that. But honestly, I don't know that there's anything in Venom you could find out that's actually going to fundamentally change the way you experience the movie. So it sucks, but I would say don't worry about it too awful much. Don't worry about it too awful much. Okay, uh, next up, time for just a couple more here. Caleb Wright's. Over under 35% that Sony and Disney make a new deal to have Spider-Man stay in the MCU, but also appear in Sony's movies and just not have any more solo movies after No Way Home. I'm going to go under 35%. I'm going to go under 35% on that. Um, I look, Look, let's be clear. It is very, very possible that Sony and Marvel re-up their deal like they did couple of years ago, right? Remember they, the deal's over, but then they re-upped it. I said at the time around D23, when Disney and Sony were ending their Spider-Man deal and Tom Holland and Spider-Man were going back over to Sony. And then a few days later, they announced, you know what? We've come to a new deal. I said at that time, and I still believe today that they re-upped the deal for a couple more films so that they could end Spider-Man's tenure in the MCU a proper way, rather than just abruptly ending his tenure in the MCU. And I still believe that today. I have no evidence of this, no proof of this, no reason you should believe this at all. I'm just saying my own personal fan speculation is that No Way Home is ultimately going to set up Spider-Man's exit out of the MCU and going back over to Sony. I don't know that for a fact. Could totally be wrong about that. Absolutely. A thousand other things might happen. But that's just kind of... I've kind of thought that since the day they announced the new deal, and I still kind of believe that's what they're, they're doing. So... But we'll see. But yeah, I'm going to go under 35% that you're going to see Spider-Man in Sony movies and in um, the MCU running around doing their thing at the same time. I don't think that's what Sony wants. I don't think that's what Marvel wants. But hey, anything can happen. It's possible. It's definitely possible. I'm not telling you anything's a fact. I'm just telling you kind of what I'm speculating myself. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Next up, Caleb writes, since they're doing Thor 4 and Cap 4, Do you think they'll eventually do Iron Man 4? Uh, It might sound weird since Thor and Cap had recent movies in 2016 and 17, and Iron Man 3 was in 2013, but I'm pretty sure there would be tons of hype for seeing Robert Downey Jr. back in the MCU. Look, Caleb, make no mistake about it. I've said this the whole time. Uh, I will say it again. Robert Downey Jr. will be back in the MCU. Maybe not this year. You guys know what I'm going to say. Maybe not this year. Maybe not next year. Maybe not in three years. But he'll be back. This part went down the wrong way. Ah, there we go. Sorry, a drop went down the wrong pipe. So anyway, he'll be back. Chris Evans will be back. Robert Downey Jr. will be back. He'll be back. You watch. Now, whether or not, it's still tickling there, whether or not 
it will be like for a full-fledged... <coughs> Sorry, guys. Iron Man 4. Um, or whether it'll be just to make a couple of cameo appearances or whatever. I don't know. But I do think he will definitely be back. In fact... <laughs> okay, I got to stop. This, this one little freaking drop went down the wrong pipe and it's just sitting there and I'm coughing and gagging here. So, guys, going to wrap things up here. That'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campy Show, thank you guys so much for being here and joining us today. Listen, there are still more questions to come from Jonathan, uh, Stash Dad, and a few others. Do not worry. I'll do a companion video a little bit later tonight after I get back from seeing Venom. I'm going to go see Venom again tonight. Very excited. And uh, we will get all caught up on all the remaining questions. We were almost to the end of it, and we only had about 10 or 11 more to go when we were done. So, We'll get all caught up on a companion video a little bit later today. But for now, that'll do it, guys. Thanks so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in the, the Super Chat badges and live chat and sent in the live comments and questions. Number one, because it gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us who are involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Remember, guys, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. We'll be back tomorrow. And until then, guys, my name's John Campia. Bye-bye. <laughs>